Some of you may be familiar with the name John Allen Turner. Uh, Brother Turner has done some work at Pepperdine. He's done some work at Abilene Christian. Uh, he has preached in Churches of Christ for a number of, of years. He has authored uh, several really uh, encouraging uh, books. Most recently, uh, John Allen has uh, been involved in church uh, consulting, has done a lot uh, in our brotherhood with, with church growth and, and ministry and things like that. Three years ago, I heard uh, John Allen speak at uh, the Preaching Initiative, which is hosted by Highland Oaks every uh, November. And in his uh, presentation, uh, Turner suggests five problems that every church faces. And uh, after listing these uh, five problems, he, he then went on to discuss, you know, one thing that uh, characterizes a healthy church is how it deals with problems. And that is, is very, uh, very important. And this morning we conclude, uh, well, no, we still have one more uh, sermon next week from the book of Acts. But in Acts 15, there are actually a, a, a couple of problems uh, that arise, and we're going to discuss one of those problems uh, this morning. But here are the five that Turner uh, lists. First, he simply categorizes as anxiety. When a church experiences angst, apprehension, concern, doubt, dread, misery, mistrust, nervousness, panic, suspense, trouble, or uncertainty, just those times in the life of a church when we are really anxious about something. He also speaks of a lack of mission. When churches perhaps turn inward and forget the reason why uh, we exist as God's people, and that, of course, is to go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus. He also lists bad boundaries where uh, we don't associate with each other in uh, a proper way, uh, relationships that exist among us, or perhaps relationships that we have congregationally outside of our own fellowship. A fourth problem he lists as a refusal to confront problems. And one of the things that you see in Acts chapter 15 in the uh, two problems that we see there, uh, Christians got together and confronted uh, the problem, and resolutions occurred. And then the fifth and final uh, problem that uh, Turner lists that every church faces is what he calls polarized parties, where you have sharply opposing factions. Sometimes this polarization can be caused by differences in doctrinal issues. That's the first portion of Acts chapter 15. Or this polarization between opposing factions can also occur between individuals when they disagree about something or they see something differently. And that is the problem we see towards the end of Acts chapter uh, 15 
And that is the problem we want to discuss this morning. So we continue our series of sermons, You Will Be My Witnesses, sermons from the book of Acts uh, today. And we want to particularly look at chapter 15, verses 36 through uh, 41. And I've simply titled this sermon this morning, When Christians Part Company. Let's read the text. Then I want to go back and kind of set the stage for uh, what happens here uh, at the end of Acts chapter 15. And then I think I have seven suggestions uh, that maybe uh, can help us uh, to overcome polarization in our own lives and how to handle when Christians, Christians part company. Again, chapter 15, the book of Acts, beginning with verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. We uh, summarized and saw some lessons uh, from that first missionary journey last Sunday uh, that is recorded in Acts chapters 13 and 14. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we have three key individuals involved in this sharp disagreement. And the primary character in this story is the young man, John Mark. So before we go back to the text, let me quickly kind of summarize what we learn or can learn about John Mark uh, from the New Testament. He is mentioned ten times. We first see him mentioned in Acts chapter 12 and verse 12, and the date is probably about A.D. 43. Like many Jews of this period, he had... Two names, a Jewish name, Yohanan in Hebrew, and a Gentile name, Marcus in Latin, thus John Mark. We learn in Acts chapter 12 that his mother Mary owned a house in Jerusalem which served as a meeting place for at least one group of the Christians that were there in Jerusalem. Since Mark's father is not mentioned as the householder, it may be assumed that he is deceased. Later in Acts chapter 12 and verse 25, we read where John Mark accompanies Paul and Barnabas in their return trip to Antioch. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, we know from that chapter, had previously been sent by the church in Antioch to Jerusalem with a famine uh, relief fund. So now all three are in uh, Antioch and John Mark begins uh, that first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13 and uh, verse 5. Now we're about a year later from Acts chapter 12, so it's A.D. uh, 44. He becomes uh, the word there, an assistant, uh, a part of the missionary team, if you will, of Paul and Barnabas. A few verses later, in verse 13 of of Acts 13, 
Uh, a few months into the journey, John Mark leaves them, and Luke does not tell us why. So we come to Acts chapter 15. It's probably five to six years later, so now around A.D. Uh, 50. Paul and Barnabas decide to uh, check up on the churches they established on their first missionary journey. Barnabas, as we read in the text, wants to take John Mark along with them. But Paul disagrees about including John Mark on this uh, second trip. Uh, you jump down to verse 39. We read, no agreement could be reached. So Paul departs with Silas instead, and Barnabas and John Mark sailed for Cyprus, uh, the first des destination we learned last week in Paul and Barnabas' first missionary trip. But there are other texts in which we uh, can find John Mark mentioned in the New Testament. Fast forward probably five years in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10, uh, maybe remarkably when you think about it, based on what we see in Acts chapter 15, John Mark is now with Paul most likely uh, when Paul was imprisoned in Ephesus. We also learn in that text that John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. Uh, a companion letter to, uh, to Colossians is Philemon. And in verse 24, as Paul concludes that little letter, he also mentions uh, John Mark and refers to him as a co-worker or a fellow worker uh, in the Lord. Now we fast forward once again uh, about uh, nine years or so. It is approximately A.D. 63, uh, Paul is approaching evidently the end of his life. Uh, he can uh, foresee that he is about to suffer martyrdom. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and, and verse 11, he asked Timothy, who is in Ephesus, uh, to bring John Mark with him because, Paul says, John Mark is helpful to him in his ministry. According to church tradition, uh, Paul uh, indeed does suffer martyrdom in the city of Rome. But John Mark is mentioned one more time in the New Testament, and that is at the end of 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 13, we're probably now A.D. Uh, 64. John Mark has evidently made it uh, to Rome, and he's now with the apostle Peter. And evidently, it's through his association with Peter that John Mark becomes the author of the second gospel. This tradition is based on a statement in the writings of Papias, who about A.D. 130 was bishop of Herapolis, and he is quoted by the later church historian Eusebius, who says, Mark became Peter's interpreter and wrote down accurately although not in order, all that he mentioned of the sayings or doings of the Lord. So we find these ten mentions of John Mark uh, in the New Testament. And you can kind of see, if you read between the lines a little bit, it's kind of an up and down ride uh, for John Mark. So with that background in mind, let's go back to Acts chapter 15. 
And look again at verses uh, 36 uh, through 41. Paul and Barnabas planned a second missionary journey. Now, in reality, uh, what they intended to do was just to circle back through the churches that they had established on their first missionary journey. Barnabas is willing to give John Mark another chance. But Paul disagrees. He considered John Mark leaving them on their first missionary journey as desertion. The word that's, that's translated to part there uh, can mean disloyal. Uh, we might say uh, in modern lingo that John Mark went AWOL on uh, the trip. And so Luke tells us, and, and he, doesn't, he doesn't hide uh, this, that a sharp disagreement arises between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, the word uh, that is translated as sharp disagreement is found only here in, in the uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse uh, 24. In that text, in that verse, it's used in a positive uh, sense. But here it's used in a negative uh, sense, and it's a very strong word. Uh, I found it uh, really interesting to go back and look at about, uh, I think, 25 or 30 different English uh, translations uh, to see how they translated uh, this particular uh, word. Uh, the word is derived from uh, a Greek word meaning sharp and something that, that pierces, uh, something that can be figuratively, figuratively very sudden or violent, as in an angry uh, outburst. And so this word describes perhaps some anger, some irritation, uh, some exasperation in a strong disagreement, and that's what occurs between Paul and Barnabas. And so as we read, unfortunately... No agreement could be reached in Paul and Barnabas part company. So with that understanding of the text in this uh, circumstance, again, I think I have seven things, uh, things to think about when Christians part company. Number one, it shouldn't surprise us because we're all human that disagreements are unavoidable, right? We're going to disagree about things. Uh, the disagreements may be because of personality. The disagreements may be because of uh, circumstances. Disagreements may occur because uh, we have a different understanding of, of some things. And so we, we should prepare for that uh, because it is unavoidable that we are going to disagree, and hence the importance of the second aspect of our vision, the unity of all believers. And it begins right here among us in our own congregation. Number two, as Paul and Barnabas, at least in this situation, uh, illustrate, sometimes friends side against friends. Now think about just a moment the relationship that existed between Paul and Barnabas. Think about famous pairs, whether real or fictional, throughout human history. 
Batman and Robin, the Lone Ranger and Tonto, Tom and Jerry. Okay, some real ones. Sonny and Cher. Paul and John. Uh, Pairs often, regardless of how close and unified they might be, often split or divide. You might remember from our study of Acts or a previous reading of Acts, when Paul was originally converted, of course he was known then as, as Saul, great persecutor of God's people. And so uh, Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus and he's blinded and he's told to go into the city and to inquire uh, about a man named Ananias. And Ananias comes and baptizes Paul uh, into Jesus. And initially, you know, Christians knew of Paul's reputation. They knew why he had been sent uh, to Damascus. Great persecutor of the Lord's church. And... uh, Understandably so, Christians initially were a little hesitant about receiving Paul. And who was it that took him by the hand and uh, took him to the Christians in Jerusalem and spoke on on Paul's behalf? It was Barnabas. It was Barnabas. And they go on this first missionary journey together. And so really, uh, when you think about it, the first probably 10, 12, maybe first 15 years of Paul's Christian life, they were spent with Barnabas. And so they're very close. They're very tight, we would say. And yet, they come upon this situation, cannot agree on a solution, and have to part company. So number three, fractured relations can disrupt God's mission. And as we think about that particular point, it should impress upon us when we do disagree, if at all possible, reaching some kind of solution. Paul was not the same without Barnabas, nor Barnabas without Paul. And yet, number four, And here's where you see the power of our God working uh, in every human circumstance. Uh, Fractured relations can also lead to parallel ministries that expand the work of God. Now, from Acts chapter 4, when we're first introduced uh, to Barnabas, we learn that he was originally from Cyprus. And you might remember from our lesson last week, on the first missionary journey, that was the first place Paul and Barnabas visited. They evangelized uh, Barnabas' home island, we might say. And so when they decide to part company, Barnabas and John Mark return to Cyprus. Now, we we don't know if their ministry flourished or not. We can assume that it did. And we know, of course, that Paul's missionary journeys flourished. And so this second journey, which again originally 
was just supposed to be a revisit of the churches they had established in their first missionary journey. Now Paul, with Silas, they visit places that previously Paul had not visited. And a number of people are converted uh, to Jesus. So what resulted was a solution that allowed the advance of the gospel to continue, but in a way that recognized a need for distinct memories, uh, ministries. Number four, number five. Again, as we, we kind of try to piece together the historical circumstances surrounding uh, this young man, uh, John Mark, our goal, number five, in ministry should be to become co-workers or fellow workers. We'll have some more to say about this in just a minute. But it's obvious if we have accurately pieced together what we learn from uh, Colossians 4 and Philemon verse 24 that there was some reconciliation between John Mark and Paul. And once again, they become co-workers, fellow workers in the Lord. And so even, even when Christians, because of disagreements, must part company, there should be that goal of, of coming back together and at least in parallel ministries being co-workers together. I think a very powerful testimony uh, to what the gospel of Jesus actually means, which brings us to number six. The summons of the gospel is reconciliation. Paul reconciled evidently with both John Mark and Barnabas. As mentioned, it is especially clear between Paul and John Mark. And even with Barnabas, in about A.D. 54, when Paul wrote his first letter to the Christians in Corinth, Paul acknowledges Barnabas, again, parallel ministry in 1 Corinthians 9 in verse 6. And so even there was such a sharp disagreement, and even though they found it necessary to part company, uh, there apparently was a reconciliation. Reconciliation involves truth-telling, confession, vulnerability, embrace, a return to work alongside uh, together, a resumption of normal relations. We live in a divided world. We live in a very selfish world. We live in a society and a culture which promotes independence. And so often when disagreements occur, when alienation uh, happens, uh, we are encouraged just to, to speak up for ourselves. We are encouraged to uh, think only of self and reconciliation does not occur. One of the most powerful testimonies or witnesses we can have to the world at large is when our society and our culture and our world see Christians with the ability to work through disagreement and come back together and reconcile. That is the true power of the gospel. We're reconciled with God. We're reconciled with our Lord. And if we've experienced that reconciliation, be committed to reconciling with one another.
And then finally, number seven. Everyone, everyone needs a Barnabas. Again, you go back to uh, chapter 4 in Acts, where we're first introduced to Barnabas. Uh, there, we learn his real name is Joseph. He's a Levite from, again, the island of Cyprus. And in Acts chapter 4, he is nicknamed by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Well, how did, how did Barnabas display his encouragement in Acts chapter 4? He evidently was a man of some means. Uh, he sold some of his property, uh, took those funds, gave it to the apostles to help the poor and the needy in Jerusalem. Hence the nickname, Son of Encouragement. We've already mentioned how he became such an encouragement to the Apostle Paul. Uh, again, they evidently spent the first 12 or 15 years of Paul's Christian life together. And the encouragement that occurred through that relationship. And he speaks up for John Mark and is an encourager to his own uh, cousin and takes him on that second missionary journey uh, on the island of Cyprus between him and, and John Mark. And uh, I can only imagine the mentoring that occurred as Barnabas talked to John Mark and um, spoke to John Mark and how reconciliation with the Apostle Paul occurs. Every, everyone needs a person like Barnabas in their life to encourage them question this morning is, can you be a Barnabas to someone? Who, who is it in, in your life that God has brought into your life that, that you can be Barnabas for? Someone to encourage, someone to mentor, someone to grab by the hand and take them to Starbucks. Someone to stand in line with at Walmart. Just to be an encourager. Uh, you've heard me speak of uh, Brother Abe Lincoln, who was one of my instructors, my favorite instructor at the Sunset School of Preaching. And he used to say, you know, we have some brethren who have the gift of discouragement. He said, find some and help people to be ministers of encouragement. To be a Barnabas. And so this week, this week of Thanksgiving, we're going to have opportunity, whether it be with a family member, a close friend, or who knows who God might bring into our lives. Encourage them. Uh, make, make it a point to send a text. Uh, send an email. Make a phone call. Go visit them. But be sensitive to those around us who, who need encouragement and be a Barnabas for that person. Kyle's going to lead us in one more song. Invitation is from the Lord. Uh, encourage all of us to look deeply within ourselves, on, again, on this week of Thanksgiving. And if you need to respond to Jesus this morning, please do so while we stand and sing.